Well, good morning, Calvary. Glad that uh, you're able to join us here on this holiday weekend. Now, we're starting a new series, and it's called uh, Summer 2017, Get Busy Living. And since this is the first message in that series, I decided to call it Summer Breeze. Now, when I told them the title, I had two calls saying, thanks a lot, I can't get that song out of my brain. So I'm just going to help you with it right now. We're going to just play a little section of it. You got it? Can you forget it now? Just leave it go. Um, we, uh, we're actually building that off of a concept found in the scripture about summer breezes or about wind. Now, you know what it's like in those dog days of summer when the sun finally goes down and you get that refreshing summer breeze that just blows over your iced tea, your chips, and your salsa, right? Uh, it's so refreshing. It's like, ah, I love that. And if you're down at the ocean shore, you get the sea breeze, now, it's not like when the breeze is coming off the land, you get the black flies. Nobody likes that, right? But what I'd like for you to do is look with me at a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. And if you have your Bibles with you today, or you want to digitally lock into where we're at, we'll be in the Gospel of John and then in the Gospel of Mark for a few moments today. So in uh, John chapter 3, verse 8, we say something about this wind that I'm talking about. This is what Jesus said. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And uh, yesterday, storms moved through the areas. You probably saw the trees And you could see the evidence of the wind, but you couldn't see the wind itself. You could see what it was affecting, but you couldn't tell where it was coming from or where it was going. And so Jesus uses that very analogy to remind us when God's at work, you'll begin to see the evidence. You'll begin to feel the wind of his spirit. And all of us who know Christ or have at least shown the interest to come to a place of worship, there's been some movement of God. God's up to something. You may not be aware of its source or its outcome, but you do know God is stirring something in your life. Now let's look at the larger context of that statement. And it has to do with a member of the ruling group of Pharisees. So let me drop into this context in verse 1 of chapter 3 of John. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? I don't think uh, Nicodemus, or we'll just call him Nico, uh, I don't think he was, uh, you know, just trying to be, you know, obnoxious. But he was trying to be logical. Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying. How can we be born again when we're already born, when we're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, verily I tell you, uh, or truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit... But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Here's that verse. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. For God so loved the world, we jump down to that very famous section of this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That seems to be a promise of a purpose. How did that happen? This way, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What Son? The Son, Jesus Christ, that according to Galatians 4.4 was sent at the exact right time in human history, born of a woman, made under the law, so Jesus intersected, divinely came across the pathways of the human beings that he had created. He took on the very form of a human being. He became like us so that he could know us, love us, die for us, raise for us, and create for us an eternal home. So God had a purpose to divinely intersect our lives. Now, as I said, Nicodemus, he wasn't being unspiritual. He was just being earthy. He was like, Jesus, I don't get it. How can this happen? How can I enter a second time into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, you're thinking only on the physical level. Many people would believe that Jesus is talking about when the bag of waters breaks it makes way for the imminent birth of the child and so it is when you know the spirit of god is moving in the lives of people something is about to happen now when a baby is born it usually isn't a surprise i'm surprised that some people are surprised when they all of a sudden have a baby right but the idea is that's a culmination of the gestational period it's been months in preparation, usually around nine months, and then all of a sudden the water breaks and the child is born. 
And Jay alluded to this in his earlier comments about someone who's intersecting different people at different times in different ways, totally unaware that the wind of God is moving, that there are divine purposes, meaning God is monitoring both time and methods. And we would call that, my friends, the providence of God. So today there are three of these concepts that we want to introduce to you from these gospel accounts. And the first one is, God governs timing and methods. There is some elements by which God just lets the laws of nature take over. In other words, if you run your car into a tree, it it doesn't turn into a sponge just because you're a believer, right? There are certain laws that God has placed as a, a way to allow us to have normality. But we know, we sang about it throughout the worship set today, God is at work doing something that we may be unaware of, but its effects will be obvious to all. When I think of God's timing, his intersection, what would happen if we suspended from an eye bolt up there two lines, and to each line we connected a hoop, right? And we took one of those hoops up to this side and one up to this side, and we let them go. What would happen? They would start to crisscross, right? And eventually that pace would slow down, and because there is a central purpose or central point, they would eventually begin to line up. Well, I think that in our lives, many times those hoops are eclipsing God's agenda, God's plan. And eventually, we begin to understand what Romans 8.28 talks about. All things work together for the good to them that love God and are called according to His purposes. Meaning God doesn't make a mistake. God uses all things for things that He knows that we may not. Deuteronomy 29.29 tells us there are certain things that are the secrets of God. And He doesn't reveal them until the right time. Now, sometimes that can look like a disaster. I mean, a literal disaster. Where people are sick or people die. Or events take place that are so tragic, it leaves us with only one question. Why? Why, God? How could that possibly happen? How could a good God allow that? One of the best books you could read is written by one of the members of our church, it's called God Behaving Badly, Dave Lamb. He's one of the professors at a, a seminary nearby. And uh, Dave talks about God behaving badly. In other words, how does God do some of these things that seem unfair or unethical to us? Well, we know according to Paul's writings in Ephesians 1.11, he works all things out after the counsel of his own goodwill. In other words, God is governing the speed and the events of the intersections of people, places, and things. How can he do that? Well, here's what Paul said in Romans. 
Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His paths beyond our tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who's ever been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that He should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. And to Him be glory forever. So as we sang earlier, God's ways are higher than our ways. Now as we grow in the Lord and we experience the reliability, the trustworthiness of God, we do come to a settledness. We don't know why, but we do know that God is in charge. He is working something together for His own purposes. It was just one year ago last month uh, that it was a, a Friday evening. I got a frantic phone call uh, from one of my dear friends in California. They attended the church that I pastored uh, for a while. And her scream, her plea was, please pray. Please pray. Christina's been shot. Christina Grimmy was just a little child growing up in the church that I was pastoring. She always used to say to me, will you marry me when I grow up? And I would say, Christina, I'm already married. And she would say, you know what I mean. But as she grew, God brought people into her life to help her discover and launch an unbelievable musical career. A phenomena on YouTube. Uh, a finalist in the voice contest was singing at a concert in Florida. A fan comes up and at point blank shoots her twice. And she falls dead. Her motion to the fan was, come. You know, she wanted to greet this fan. Boom. And the brother, Christina's brother, tackled him. The man points the gun right at his head and pulls the trigger and it won't fire. All of a sudden his eyes get giant. He stands up and he walks backwards and uh, shoots himself. Listening to those parents, being a part of all of those events, I know in my own heart and in the life of each of my family members with weeping with those that weep and great sorrow saying, why God, how can this be? But yet since that day, God has been doing unbelievable things. People are coming to know Christ. Many people came to know the Lord as part of that event. But yet we say, God, can good come out of evil? Well, Joseph of old said they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den and it led to the faith of Darius the king and the name of the Lord was proclaimed throughout the kingdom, how can something so devastating turn out to be something so powerful? So whether it's Job that says no matter how hot the fire gets, no matter how hard the trial is, I'll trust him. 
believing I'll be refined like gold. How is it that Peter can say, trust God in those trials that will come to each of us and God will refine you? It's because we have this abiding knowledge of the providence of God. God's not wringing his hands. God's not going, oh, I can't believe that just happened. Oh, I should have been a better God. I should have done a better job. Here I was messing with this thing over here and this happened. See, we know intuitively because the Spirit of God blowing through our lives reminds us God knows what He's doing. Yesterday at the breakfast table we read with sadness about uh, Megan and, and Nathan Johnson. He's the lead guitarist for a Christian rock group, lives in the same little town that three of my children live in, in Franklin, Tennessee. His wife had a heart transplant seven years ago and finally was cleared to have a little baby. The baby was born healthy, and the mom, she's nursing, they're laughing, they're praising God. And in a matter of hours, something went south and she died. And it was so sad to us. But as it lingered in our souls, we said, God, you're up to something. The winds are blowing. And believe me, it doesn't take long to jump on the internet or read a magazine or hear the stories of tragedy after tragedy, all reminding us of the truth of Scripture that this world that we live in is broken, it's chaotic. But yet God, but yet God is still at work. Now Job says something important. He said, you know, should we only receive that, is, that which is good, in other words, that which we like, we find pleasing, and reject that which God sends our way that brings adversity? His point, it's a rhetorical question, no. We take the good and the bad, the joys that lead us to the heights of praise and to the lowest where we are broken and humbled and devastated and questioning. God uses all of them. And so it was a crisis of faith in the life of Nicodemus. The Pharisees weren't the biggest fan of Jesus. Um, in fact, you know, I think one of the series we ought to do is not what Jesus would do, WWJD, or not continuing what Jesus started. How about what would Jesus tweet? Wouldn't that be a good series? Um, and uh, there are certain people that tweet and it gets a lot of news. I, I wonder when Jesus would have tweeted his feelings about the Pharisees as he did in Matthew 25. It, it, it was a blistering attack on the self-righteousness, the pride, the self-sufficiency. But yet the wind is blowing. God has been at work long before it manifested itself in Nikki's life. He comes to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness and says, come on, man, you got to be from God. You can't be doing these things unless God is with you. What was he acknowledging without saying it? You've been sent. 
There's something going on here that uh, you're from God, aren't you? You're here to intersect us, aren't you? You're here to change us, aren't you? And Jesus said, yes, and you can be a part of that, Nicodemus, by being born again, by trusting that I've been sent to save you, (laughs) to give you the only hope you'll ever have. Now, when we think of the providence of God, we we ought to think of uh, John 2.11. So we go back just a chapter to see the very first miracle that Jesus did. And kind of the summation of him turning the water into wine was this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Can you lock in on that phrase for a moment? The revealing of his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now when you come to the end of the Gospel of John, you may be familiar with the fact that it says, and Jesus did many other signs and miracles in the presence of his disciples that were not recorded in the book. There's about 35 miracles that Jesus did that are recorded. But this gospel, the gospel of John, says, oh, there were many, many more. And they were done so that you might believe that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. In other words, Jesus did the miracle not just because they ran out of wine, not just because his mother was saying, come on, do something, prove you're really God, do a miracle or something. She had lived under the scrutiny of this mysterious virgin birth, right? Yeah, wink, wink. Little did they know. Yeah, at just the right time. And so Jesus did this miracle, and it caused people to believe. Now, here's kind of a premise for you. Uh, How many of you have ever been a server at a restaurant? Or your kids have been servers? Yeah, lots of you. You never see restaurants the same after that, right? Some of you are nurses, and you never see the medical community the same after you've worked in a hospital. Uh, Counselors, you can become quite jaded, right? Because problems after problems. But when you get a sniff of the providence of God, when you begin to trace His hand and the sequence of events that you thought were random, and you begin to see, oh, God was at work. You can never see life without seeing the providence of God. It's one of those things that's very refreshing, like a summer breeze. You've perhaps heard the term chaotic. Chaotic comes from the mixture of chaos and organized. And chaotic means it may look very random. Like you look up into the starry canopy and you might say, that's very random placements. But the more you study them, you realize there's a lot of order in the cosmos. They have rhyme and reason and orbits and patterns. And so it is when you back away from life just far enough, you begin to see, God, that conversation, that was of you. 
listening to the testimony of Carrie Underwood, uh, who in her college years uh, was working in a nursery and a godly older woman kept convincing her to try out for this new thing called the American Idol. She looks now from the point of view of a mega country star and says, that was a divine conversation rocking those babies while I was a college student. Intersecting somebody that had no big realm of influence, but just her kindly reminding me, God's given you a gift. You have an ability. Use it. Try out. What does it hurt? And of course, she did. And uh, it worked out pretty nicely, I would say, right? Um, my wife and I will celebrate 40 years of marriage next month. And, um, well, thank you. Uh, it required more sacrifice on her side than mine, I'm sure of that. But I was thinking of all the things that's happened with having four children and dogs and mm, hamsters and... Uh, snakes and birds and rabbits and being on planes, trains and automobiles and just all the things that have made up life. And it's not until you can look back and say, wow, God was really at work. I remember a family, their daughter, lovely Christian woman filled with grace, just a teenager but suffering terribly under the uh, problem of um, an eating disorder. And uh, the anorexia was just turning her into a skeleton. And the family didn't know what to do. They're listening to an album. That's one of these round things. Um, And it was the musical group Point of Grace, and one of the women gave a testimony about going to a place called Ramuda Ranch uh, in Arizona. That was a divine intersection. That moment, that time, hearing that recording of a story of how God used a place literally saved that little girl's life. And today she's a model Christian woman who gives God glory, gives God grace. That intersection of those conversations. I think of what it was like when I went to grad school and I met Jay Desco. He was the dean of the school uh, and had pioneered this leadership, uh, organizational leadership course um, of a curriculum. And I didn't know when I showed up there that that intersection would change the whole trajectory of my life. I would have no opportunity to know you, to be at Calvary, to be serving lots of ministries. And as those leaders get healthier, their churches and their businesses get better and healthier. And they're affecting thousands of lives from enrolling in a class, a divine intersection. When I mentioned my wife and I and our marriage, I I think of the oddity of how we met. And I'm not going to go into that story. I'll just tell you that I asked her out on a date, and I cupped my hands, and I said, if you can tell me what I have in my hands, I'll take you out tonight. And She said, "Uh, an elephant. 
I looked, I said, close enough, I'll pick you up at seven. Um, You get the idea. So let it rest deeply, deeply in your soul that 24-7, God is at work. He has already predetermined some of those conversations, those people that you'll meet, the places that you'll go, the events that you'll be a part of, and He doesn't waste it because you are so valuable. God sent His very best to redeem you. Now, with that as a background, I think you can understand that this is an invitation not just to know and acknowledge, okay, God, you're at the control switches. It is to be an invitation to partner with God. To partner with God. And I would define that as completing His plan through humans. Now, we mentioned the miracles a little earlier. And uh, you could do this study on your own, but I think you'll find it intriguing. At least I did. Of all those miracles that Jesus did, I think every one of them involves some element of human participation. Um, Lazarus, remember? He died. Martha and Mary They were heartbroken, and Jesus purposely delayed in coming so that he would die. Mary was so ticked off, she wouldn't even go out and meet Jesus. And remember Martha, when advocating for the brokenheartedness of Mary, said, Oh, Jesus, if only, if only you would come. God, you could have, or Jesus, you could have, if you would only have come. And Jesus said, I delayed by design that God might be glorified. So when he stepped up to that tomb, himself weeping, and said, Lazarus, come forth! Lazarus didn't go, nah, nah, I'm busy, I'm sleeping. Uh, He got up. There was a call. Roll that stone away. Lazarus, you come out. You were dead, and now you will be alive. When he turned the water into wine, he said, go fill these barrels with water. When the man with the withered hand stood before him, he said, stretch out your hand. There was always those elements of human partnership. Romans 2.4 says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's not the fear of God. It's the love of God that overwhelms us. The fear, that awesomeness, God, you can do anything you want without my permission or my approval. But when God shows you so much grace, mercy, love, when He intersects the brokenhearted, when He helps those that have gone through the tragedy of divorce or addiction or disease, or the loss of a loved one. And all those times where God draws near to you because you've drawn near to Him, the wind is blowing and He invites you to partner with Him. In fact, we know in Ephesians 2.10, He's given you gifts to bless the body, which He says they are the gifts of what? The Spirit. 
so that we partner with each other and we partner with God. As we close, I want to read just two passages with some comment. And I want you to start listening here for the providence and for this idea of partnership. So Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, verse 35, he, uh, you probably ought to understand the context. He has been training these guys, called disciples, very diligently. Now he sent them out in groups of two. And he said, don't take any food, no money in your belt. Don't take anything, just let me provide. You go do the miracles, you go and cast out the demons. And then we'll reconvene and we'll have a retreat. So they go and do that. They're very excited. There's been some failures, some successes. They come back. They're going to go on their uh, retreat. And this big group gathers. About 5,000 men. But just as they're getting ready to go, they get message. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, his head has been cut off and placed on a silver platter. That's the context of what we're going to read. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Hear their reasoning now? Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages, and are we to go and spend that much on bread and give, them, give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. So when they found out, they said, uh, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the, his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate, all 5,000 of these people, and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men uh, who had eaten was about 5,000. Now here's my point. Jesus, um, he said to the group, okay, everybody close your eyes. I'm going to do something. Close, your eyes aren't closed. And he pulls out this magic wand. He makes this huge pile of food. It, it was unbelievable. You could hardly see the top. The food was... He took those little loaves and those little fish and there was a mountain of meat and bread. It was kind of like going to Arby's. It was just like huge, right? Is that what he did? And then he went, voila! No, he didn't do that. He distributed a little piece of fish. He only got a couple of them, right? These aren't great big mackerel. These are little sardines and little wafers. He hands them out to the twelve says, now you go and distribute it. They're going, oh, this is so embarrassing. Jesus must have PSTD, you know, post-traumatic stress, being in the sun too long. There's no way. And the miracle happened in their hands while they were participating with the plan of God. 
He didn't make a big mess of food and then say, okay, pass it out. It happened in their hands of faith. What were they doing? They were learning dependency to partnership with God. You add to that the idea of promises. No sooner had they fed the 5,000, they're out in a boat. And uh, a strong wind (laughs) occurred. Uh, I wonder where that came from. God was going to teach them out of their fear and him walking on the water that they can trust him in good times and in bad. In fearful moments and at times where if God doesn't show up, this is going to go awry. I want to close right now with a video. And this video is a call for you to reflect on the fact that God promises, I will be with you, so wait for me. Wait patiently for me. I'm a faithful God. If you can't see my hands, at least trust my heart. The timing, the methods, the call to partnership, and I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. I will give you the throne of grace where you can come and find help when the strong winds are blowing. So watch this video, and perhaps while you're watching, you could do some reflection of things in your own life where God's at work.